Okay, I'm going to read Romans, the eighth chapter. Romans, the eighth chapter. And I, my prayer for myself through God's counsel to me and my prayer for all of us is Romans, the eighth chapter. I'm just going to read Romans 8. Start in Romans uh, chapter 8, and I'm going to start in verse uh, 28. 28. Verse 28 says this, And we know, and this is what he wants us to know, and, and very, very important for us, and we know that all things work together for good, for God's divine good, to them that love God, and to them who are thee called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. And this goes into the depth of the love and wisdom of his plan for each of us. For them for whom he did foreknow, he also did foreordain, would be the better word than even predestinate, but here it says predestinate, conformed. The words to be are italicized because I believe it reads far better. Con- predestinated, or foreordained, conformed already to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Firstborn there obviously means God's first love and how we're created in him. Moreover, whom he did predestinate or foreordained, them he also called. In whom he called, them he also justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation. And whom he justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation, them he also glorified. What then will we say to these things? And this is what he would ask us based upon everything that he's made already ours in Christ. What will we say to these things? Here's the answer. God for us, who against us? If God is for us in the foreordination of his plan and the son of his love, then no matter what it is, if God is for us, and he is, this is a first-class, fulfilled condition, really should read, since God for us, who against us? Many have said, since God is for us, doesn't even matter what's against us. Doesn't even matter. Who is he that condemns? Well, it's Christ that died, that did away with it. Yea, rather, that is risen again. We have this glorified life in us. Who is even at the right hand of God, the hand of the complete satisfaction, approval, power that's ours towards us. Who makes intercession for us. So in other words, everything we're going through in the foreordination and predestination of his plans of love for us, that even then we don't go through a single thing that he's not with us in. Not a single thing. And that's intercession. He makes intercession. Why? Because he's for us. He's for us. Well then, if that's the case, and it is then, in this rhetorical question, which is just bringing out a statement of fact, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Well, can anything? Tribulation? 
You're experiencing trials. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. Well, as it is written, as it is written in Psalm 44 and verse 22, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is quoting it. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. Can you kill Christ in us? Could any? No. We were, are killed all the day long, experiencing the death of Christ in us, so that the life might be made manifest in our experience. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, no. In all, all those things we don't want anything to do with, all those things that we don't want, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, a sword, or all those things that Christ himself experienced. God in humanity. No. No, in all these things. And when it says that in Romans 8, 37, since God for us who against us, then in Ephesians 5, 20, we can be thankful for all things. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, be thankful in all things. Why? Because he's for me. He's in me. And he's for me. And when I function in him, submit to his love, I see that he is for me, and then I live my life for him, who is my life, in Colossians 3 and verse 4. Because, we the, because the love of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14 constrains us, holds us in a vice. Because we thus judge and discern, and know, really, we do, that if one died... And this is in Romans, the fifth chapter. We see it again specifically in verses 12 through 21 in Romans, the fifth chapter. But we can see here, we thus judge if one died, why did one have to die? Because all were dead, separated. And that he did die for all, he made it potential. He tasted death for every single man. He did taste death in Hebrews 2, 9. That's John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, meaning Christ propitiated God the Father so that Christ could be the substitute to pay for the sins of those and those only who would receive him and thus be reconciled. And so we thus judge, we discern, we discern this, that if one died, then all were dead, but they that live should henceforth, from that point on, stop living unto themselves, their own thought life, separated. You know, a thought life that's separated from the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16 and Philippians 2 and verse 5 is the mind of death and evil. It's a mind that functions separated from God, from the reality of who we are, of who we are in our position. So no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Why? Through him, by him, and in him, and through him, because he loves us. For I am persuaded, this new year for me and for all of us, God wants to persuade us in the most intense, intimate way, these eternal realities. That I'm persuaded 
that neither death. How does he persuade us? Through death. He that dies once, in Romans 6, 9, dies no more. How does he persuade us? Nor life, this life here. Everything about this life shows us who our true life is. And that's Christ in Colossians 3 and verse 4. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present. Do you have things present in your life? Are things present right now in your experience? Do you experience these things? Do you experience, are you experiencing tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Well, it's for Christ's sake that that's happening, that the life of Jesus Christ might be manifested in you. Not only in you in terms of an intimate fellowship that you're to have with your precious Savior, but that you'll be a light and a written epistle to all those that are lost. We need, we need to be, and God wants us to be, his written epistle. It's not even so much what we say. It's how we live and conduct our lives around others. That shows the reality of our true experience, which is based upon our true position in Christ. So it would be a written epistle in 2 Corinthians 3, because uh, 3, 1 through 3 and 4, because he's our sufficiency. Christ is our sufficiency, 3.5. Because the letter, the flesh, trying to perform, trying to do, the letter kills. But the spirit of life gives what? The spirit of Christ gives life. The spirit, the Holy Spirit gives life, and that's Christ to our experience. So what do we see then? These things, no things present. What is presently going on in your life? Is his love greater? Are you passing through, and am I passing through them? Read Psalm 23. Well, if the Lord is your shepherd, do you lack anything? Do you really think, do, do we really think we lack anything? No. What is death? It's but a shadow in 23.4. And he's revealing that, and what needs to persuade us of that. And then when he can do that, in Psalm 23, 5, our cup, our capacity, it overflows. And again, this is John 10, 10b. We know in 10, 10a, the thief comes to steal so that we privately interpret tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, perilous sword. The thief comes to steal to kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. That's us individually. And then have it more abundantly. Sharing it first and foremost with each other as a local assembly, as, as part of the whole body of Christ, of which is one, but then revealing it to others and becoming a joint that lives above itself and becomes a supply to others. In Ephesians 4, verse 16. Well, nor things to come, nor height. See when it says this, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created being will be able, have the ability to separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did we see the height there, the depth, the height, the height, the depth, or any other creature. This is what the Holy Spirit, through the messenger, 
Paul, the apostle to the church, as a special messenger. And this is what he has said. And it's really amazing the way it's brought out here in these scriptures in the most intense way, in the most incredible way. And we see it here really brought out in the third chapter of Ephesians. Look what it says. And this is what God's desire is for us. When it says in Colossians 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word dwell there is oikidomio in the Greek, and it means let Christ find a place in you where he can rest and you can rest in him. Through letting the word that Christ is dwell in you and find a home in you. (laughs) Because when he finds a home in you and in me, he has given us the home in which we dwell. And that home is the home of a love life that nothing truly can disturb or distract. Well, and this is what... In this sense, these are prayers that are written as much as, much as they are foundational teaching in, in Ephesians 3 and verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your minds, may make room for himself in you as his home, his dwelling place, by faith, complete dependence, that you being rooted and grounded in love, and you know, God has given us these beautiful illustrations. For instance, and and as we halt here for a second, in Proverbs 13, 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But not if, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. We've used this illustration that I got, I want to say in the 80s. (laughs) In the 80s. When God wants to make a summer squash. I think it's between three and four months, something around then. <coughs> Excuse me, edit. <laughs> I apologize. When he wants to make a summer squash, that's how long it takes. And it can feed a family. But when he wants to make an oak, it takes that oak, a lot of them, a hundred years. Because you can do far more. There's far more use that God gets out of an oak than he can in a summer squash. The oak, it gets, you ever see how twisted and gnarled they are? Because that's the wind and everything that comes against that oak tree. It causes the roots to go down deeper and deeper to the source of life, the water of the word. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, absolute dependence. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints, those that have been separated from the old life and now have the new life. Again, that's brought out in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. And that's brought out in putting off and putting on further in the fourth chapter here of Ephesians in verses 20 to 24 may be able to comprehend with all those that have been set apart from the old and said into Christ, what is the breadth, how wide it is, and length and depth and height, and this is talking eternal realities with Christ, and to know and experience in a way that nothing will ever again disturb or distract the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, meaning 
we will never come to the end of how much he loves us. And that private fellowship that we have with him, that intimate fellowship in Revelation 2 and verse 17, he will bring out every how every distress, tribulation, rejection, how it all brought us to this reality. Because if we want to know him, and we need to, in Philippians 3.10, so that we don't, are not found in our own self-righteousness, in Philippians 3 verse 9, our own self-righteousness, meaning our own way of perceiving things, that we may know him in the power of his resurrection. And then there's further, the roots go down further, the fellowship of his sufferings. Have you ever said, I want to know you, Lord, deeply, more than ever? My, my personal prayer for this new year is, Lord, I want Jesus more than I've ever had him and to have free reign in my life more than ever, in my own personal life. That's what my prayer is. And uh, that's what it's saying here. So that not only you comprehend in your own life, but with all saints, they comprehend him in you. <laughs> they see it. They see it. You're his written epistle. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, right now, right now unto him. That is that supernatural ability that always does exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Because if we don't depend upon him and trust him, we won't ask him. We won't have a proper expectation in Psalm 62 and verse 5. And then we won't pour out our hearts to him at all times and trust in him at all times in 62.8. And if we don't, in Psalm 62.10, we will be filled in our experience with oppression. Now unto him that has that supernatural ability in each of us, that exceeds and abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Now unto him, glory in the church. That's us, individuals. By Christ Jesus throughout all the ages of the ages of eternity. World, this particular earth, and this is teaching us, the earth will never end. In 321, of course, that's Ecclesiastes 1.4. And uh, Isaiah 45 and verse 17 with Ephesians 3.21, the earth will never be done away with. It'll change in its appearance. But again, the stress here is this. And I'm going to read here, and I'm going to read, and I just read it. I can't tell you how many times I've read it and reread it, the book on image. And that's my prayer for each of us. Uh, image, that booklet that, that God penned without any question about it. In Romans 8 and verse 28, it says, and we know that to them that love God, and how do we know that we love God? It's through trust and obedience and dependence. Otherwise, we don't know that we love God. We know that he loves us. That's done. That is a done deal. God doesn't change. But I know that I love him when I obey him, when I submit to Christ and function in my own individuality in obedience. And that's brought out in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 4 and 5. And we know that to them that love God, this is the only place here 
in the epistle of Romans where our love to God, which is based upon the new image he has made us in, is mentioned. The term them that love God is descriptive of believers as a class. You'll see this in Ephesians, especially in the first chapter and the very first verse all the way through that epistle. That's who we are. And at the same time, suggests that only those who love God by virtue of their new nature, their new image and identity, realize and truly experience that all things are working together for good. Who's good? The Trinity alone, their good, working and invested for their own good, God's glory, and our own good, our blessing. The all things, listen, the all things here in this verse clearly brought out. While applying to circumstances in general, situations and circumstances, okay? Has to do with the word patience in those two Greek words, macrothumia and hupomone. It has special reference, Romans 8.28, listen to it, has special reference to those of adversity. Are you experiencing adversity? Is God greater than your adversity? Is he? Is he below it somehow? Will he leave you somehow? Will he forget you somehow? Now what? <laughs> it's, to, it's to those of adversity as indicated in the context. The whole context is those things that, we, that we're just, we just had read to us in Romans 8, 28 and 29 down through. Now, all things, this is what he wants us to realize, today and throughout the whole year, all things, however contrary to us, are under his control. You want God to change his control? I want God to change his control. I want him to change my circumstances and situations in time that were dealt with in his eternal plan before they ever even existed. And somehow, through my doubt and fear and distrust, I want to twist the, twist the arm of God and change his plan. You mean I want to change how he loves me and has determined that love in the absolute wisdom of his own mind and his own thought life expressed through Christ. Well, all things, however contrary to us, are under his control. Because if one thing isn't, are any of them? The statement carries the suggestion that God works all things for those who love him with the designs of their image in Christ for their good. Do you remember everything that happened to Joseph in those Genesis chapters? starting in the 40s and ending in 50? How all that was done against him? Was, it all, was God against him? Did God forget him? Or was he working it together for good, for God's glory and Joseph's blessing? You mean just his? No, two nations, two whole nations, Egypt and Israel and famine. And for the, even those that did the evil against him, God was working it all together for the good. You mean to tell me that God was against Job? I don't know about you and I, but have you ever lost everything, your health and everything, family? Well, everything in nine months. 
and were sitting on the side of the road, a road where people were mocking you, and you had a potsherd, a piece of pottery, you're scraping the boils. Did God work it together for his good? Because it all had to do with God's glory. It all did. And the same for you and I. The same for you and I. Troubles, troubles, <laughs> troubles, troubles, it states it very clearly, right? Job 23 and verse 16, the Almighty troubles me. Does he cause the evil? No. Does he use it? Absolutely. He's not the cause of it. He doesn't tempt anyone with evil in James 1 and 13. He does not. But does he use it? Yes. Those troubles cause our heart to be soft so that the word, our true image, our true reality, God himself and his glory and our blessing can be worked in. In Psalm 119, 130, the entrance of your words, and it has to have an entrance. What is ours positionally now has to have an entrance in our experience. And you and I will fellowship and thank him for every single bit of it. And it's brought out in Revelations 2 and verse 17. Troubles, therefore, do not hinder Christian progress. I said it to an individual a few minutes ago. If you are down, you didn't get there, but you were going forward. You were not down. If you're down, guess who's with you down? He is. He's with you. He's leading you. He's guiding you. He's for you. He loves you. He's already taken care of every single thing about you. You're the apple of his eye in Deuteronomy 32.10 and Psalm 17 and verse 8 and Zechariah 2 and verse 8. You're the very image. Your very image in his son is located in his center. He never, and, and that's why it's brought out in Job 36.7, he never removes his eye from those that have been made righteous in his son. Job 36, 7, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. Troubles, therefore, do not hinder Christian progress. They serve but to further the designs of our image in and of God's grace, even to them that are the called ones. The two descriptions here, and I'm reading this again from that booklet image, and I'd like everyone to have it. It's, it's a beautiful study guide. It'll do away with doubt and fear and worry, and it'll get us refocused immediately. The two descriptions are in indicative of our true image in Christ, them that are the called, and them that love God, are to one another as cause, his first love cause, and effect. God's first cause is his beloved son in Jesus Christ alone and his only effect. Those who, are, who love God are necessarily those that are called. You and I love God. We do. Because in 1 John 4.19, he first loved us. That's the proof that we're called. That's the proof that God has a plan. That's the proof he'll not fail us nor forsake us. In Joshua 1.5, in Hebrews 13.5, a triple salutation. Never. But the call here, always in the epistles of Jesus Christ given to Paul to give to us his church, his body, his bride, is always an effectual call. 
because with every cause of God's love is a proper effect. An effectual call. And what does it do? It produces the response of love to him who calls according to his purpose. We know the purpose in Ephesians 1, 9, 11 has to do with his precious son and it can't fail. You know, God's plans for you cannot fail. That's why we don't determine them by sight, by what we have or what we don't have. Never. Never. Always. Always there. Always. This purpose has to do with the image of his son in each of us that has responded to the call of his love, his very sent son. So that clause there, as we begin to close this morning, the clause, his purpose, in Ephesians 1, 1 through 23, is extremely important and foundational. The special significance of that clause is twofold. First, it shows the fact that some men love God and is attributable of God's nature and his attributes solely having to do with his sovereign grace. Secondly, it confirms the fact of their eternal security, their eternal life image in Christ. We see these things. I would suggest each of us, if you don't have this, one of the gifts that I would love to give is that each individual would have, each one of us would have one of these to constantly study through, constantly, for God to bring out eternal truths for this coming new year. Because the fact of the matter is that everything in this booklet that has to do with the very Word of God, not the Word of men, the Word of God, has to do with the fact that God, and we brought this up the other day, God is carrying on His clearing work. He's clearing out of our experience what is not of our position. He's clearing it. That's what he's doing. And it takes going down to go forward. Listen, every single person in the Bible of God sooner or later went down. You can't tell me a single person. Abraham, down 13 silent years. Moses, 40 years on the backside of a desert to prepare him. 40 years, yes. First, Listen, 40 years first in the courts of Pharaoh, second to him. That's God bringing out the reality. I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. But then he puts him on the backside of the desert so that he could learn the fellowship of his sufferings. To learn it. Because if you want a depth of intimacy with Christ, that's what it's going to take. And it will go into eternity with you. And it will go in with me. And it's his hand, the hand of grace. And we said this the other day also. In 1 Peter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. You cannot. We will, de we will deceive others that it's happened and we'll deny it privately. But we can't hide it. Because it's between the individual and Christ in the presence of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Humble, allow yourselves to be humbled. Don't fight the plan of God. 
Don't fight it by sight, by doubt, by fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 1.7. No, he's not. So you discard that, regardless of what your circumstances and situations are, regardless of what your health is. And, you, and we are to make more of him than anything else. More, we're to make more of Christ and to speak more of him than our health issues, than our lack of what we think that lack is. And compared to others, what would it be? We'd be pretty full. At least I know I would be. Humble yourself. And when it says that in 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself under the exalting hand of God. Why does he humble us? That's the first step of God trying, really exalting you above your circumstances and situations and health problems and those things that we choose to talk about more than him. He loves who he's made us to be in his son. He loves each and every single one of us. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be thankful for. And our thankfulness, and I wrote this down, I said it to the group last week, to to the individuals that were able to hear. Being thankful is the experience of being loved by God. Never heard it that way before. He said, write it down, and I did. I wrote it right here. He said, write it down. I know that when I'm thankful, I'm experiencing his love for me. He will, his love will always give me the opportunity to be thankful for something. To be so very thankful. And to be thankful in his love. And that's when I know I'm functioning in his love. I'm thankful. A friend of mine I've known for many, many years, starting in South Berwick in 1975, had his a precious sister pass away. Her name was Nancy Brown and Bruce Brown. We're going to talk about sweetheart people, deep, dear people. Yeah. And, there's, and their brother, Joel, that I knew and served with in Baltimore from 1977 to 1978 in Baltimore. And he wrote and said that there was never, there was always joy, but it was with sorrow. Never anything else. And she suffered with, I think, with the, with the cancer for, I think it was 11 years, he said, but I'm not sure. But it was a handful of years, this, this woman. And now she's home to be, to be with the Lord. And I responded back to it, his, his post, and I said, and, she, and, he, and he wrote, yeah, she had the voice of an angel. <laughs> and I think she could sing, because we can sing songs, do you know? In Job 35 and verse 10, in Psalm 40, verse 3, in Psalm 77, verse 6, he gives us songs in the night. His physical absence, but not his presence. But he gives us songs in the night because he teaches us in Isaiah 45 and verse 3, or 43 and verse 5, I usually mix those two up. He gives us the treasures of darkness. Did you know that there's dark circumstances and situations. There's going without where he's teaching us and giving us the intensity of fellowship with him that nothing else can give us. Nothing else. And, uh, you know, he's, he spoke of her. And uh, when I thought of her, she had a voice that far excels an angel because they can't sing like us. Because they don't know him like us. This us weak, frail human beings. 
They don't know him like us. But we do. Ephesians 3.19. And so, thank God that, that we have this purpose. And when we experience his love, then we cleave to him with purpose of heart. We cleave to him, it says. They cleave to him in Acts 11, verse 23, because they had purpose of heart. Their mind was Christ through everything. And because it's preparing them, and it was in preparing them, and it's preparing us for our face-to-face meeting with him. You know, he, he can't wait to have a face-to-face meeting with every single one of us. And he's interceding with us the whole way through until we finally see him face-to-face. Were you ever around someone when they knew it was their time? Were you ever around them? Boy, I've had the privilege to do that several different times. One very intimate, very personal. And uh, that's what we're being led to. And and this year for us, let's give ourselves to him so that he can make room in us where there's room for nothing else but him, so that he can be all in all. He is all. Listen, Colossians 3.11 says he is all. He just wants to be in all. (laughs) God, what a tremendous thing, because he's already bound the strong man, Satan. He's already done that. He's already spoiled all his goods. He thought we were his goods to mock God with to mock us with, to accuse us and condemn us. But our strong man, our grace man, the grace and truth man in John 1, 14, bound the strong man because he had to first bind him and then spoil all his goods. All those thoughts of, of trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's a thought life that he's after. Father, thank you so much that we have because you have bound that strong man who was stronger than us, who held us in strongholds in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, that you propitiated your Father so that he could give you to us as our substitute so that we could continually be reconciled to you constantly and renewed in the spirit of our minds in Romans 12, 2 and Ephesians 4, verse 23. And because he's already bound and dealt with, we have a solid, deep relationship and position of being absolutely accepted and established in Christ for all eternity. We've been delivered from all his power. That's the truth. That's Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. We've been delivered from all of his power. Now, he experientially, through, through us being positioned in him, now he wants to deliver us in our experience from that strong man's presence and cause us to function in God's presence. In Psalm 1611, in your presence, Lord, is always the fullness of joy and thankfulness because at your right hand, our position, you're going to reveal in our experience, but not just now, but all eternity, pleasures forevermore. We just thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.